Welcome, everyone, to the Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. I do hope I'm not interrupting. I'd like a group meeting. My place. Now. The Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 109, Doomsday, is sponsored by Molly's Magic Mystery Rocks, the Lego bricks that play back. Pete, here we are wrapping up with this penultimate episode, uh, wrapping up Runaways, starting to see how this season will will conclude between our discussion today and our discussion next week. Here we are ready to relaunch Star Trek Discovery when it hits CBS All Access and, you know, in the rest of the world, Netflix uh, this upcoming weekend. And here we are continuing to blast through this uh, roller coaster of S.H.I.E.L.D. in space. And uh, I could not be happier with these uh, all these TV shows that we're doing. It is a wonderful time to be geeking out. It is. Fantastic Geek set a Fantastic Geek record with 130 podcasts in 2017. This number two of who knows how many and looking forward to bring it to you all. Let's get to the Runaways recap. Ten years ago, a seismograph goes off as the Hernandezes are preparing to flee L.A. The Yorkses call, and they show them the strange, glowing, shifting rock samples. It's clear to everyone that the dig has nothing to do with renewable energy. Gene Hernandez notices they've been locked in before Alice sees a device that blows the geoscience research building up which Leslie Dean is seen walking away from. She calls Tina Minoru, who is so shocked by the news, she actually does burn herself on a frying pan. We also see Molly has survived the explosion as she clutches both her elephant, Elion, and a glowing rock. Graciela discovers Molly left through a window. Nico goes to retrieve her sister's recharged phone and finds her father has taken up residence in Amy's room. Frank has learned a lot from Carolina, including that Alex's laptop wasn't backed up before Chase smashed it. Frank thinks it's time for him to step in as it's become too dangerous for the kids. As the TV replays Janet Stein lying about her husband Victor's tumor and the radical therapy he's pursuing overseas, Chase wants answers from his mother, but she's more worried he'll be put in harm's way. At school, everybody buddies up to and bro-hugs Chase. Carolina tries to defend him, but Gert broadcasts that Carolina hooked up with him. Nico isn't talking to Alex. The group has no next move and no cool nickname. Alex suggests the runaways for all the kids they couldn't save. Eiffel is selling tickets to that night's non-holiday specific seasonal dance. You can't make that up, Matt. And offers Chase one. Gert buys one for everybody so they can all go together. Robert Minoru tells wife Tina that they'll finally get their lives back when the drill starts up, but she doesn't believe they can go back. She flashes back 15 years to a memory of putting Nico in her crib, followed by a recently revived Jonah playing tea party with Amy. He cautions Tina to watch out when her daughters become teens and turn on her. 
An unmissably large Nemo industrial drill now sits at the Wilder construction site. Jonah has dismissed Jeffrey's employees in favor of Church of Gaborum security goons. He starts the drill as Darius catches up with his recently laid off informant. Molly shows up at school with her videotape, which they play on Alex's old AV Club VCR. On the video, Molly's deceased parents explain Pride's plans on digging up something buried deep beneath the city. They were told it was a renewable energy source, but there's a blind fault that can't be seen from the surface that will unleash a series of seismic events, not to mention the really weird viral or fungal stuff in the rock samples. Molly's parents apologize for what they've been a part of. The group is increasingly worried about the scope of Pride's plan. Forget turning them in. They have to stop them. They plan to meet at the dance that night. Frank has summoned Jonah to talk about the power of knowledge. Janet saves the housekeeper the trouble of scrubbing her husband's blood off the garage floor when Chase comes to say goodbye. Alex gets a call from Nico on Amy's phone and reads him the final message. They theorize at least two people know what happened to Amy, whoever warned her and whoever killed her. But it's certain it wasn't suicide. They eliminate Tina, possibly her dad, and maybe Kincaid. Alex offers the possibility of someone else in pride. The Yorks' call Graciela to check on Molly and discover she's left and that Graciela doesn't trust them. Jonah summons the pride to his place. Molly meets Gert with the dinosaur in tow at the dance. After an extremely honest conversation, Chase and Gert dance before defiling Zev and Hannah Tannenbaum's wedding reception setup. Unable to find Gert and Chase, Carolina kisses Nico and she kisses back before a half-dressed Chase and Gert emerge. At the church, Jonah asks if the pride knows where their children are parroting the Fox TV slogan from the 1960s. He then lays out all the lies and all that the children know. He knows this because one of them did the right thing and went to him, but it wasn't Tina. He catalogs the times they've failed to alert him or deceive him, like with his serum. If they question his leadership, the consequences will be severe. The Minorus find the staff missing. The Yorkses are down a dinosaur. Chase took the Fistagons, but at least Alex didn't take his dad's gun. Only a construction site keycard. An incontinent Tamar meets at a neighborhood restaurant with baby daddy Darius, who explains something big is going on along with the powers the kids used on him. And he had told her he was off the drugs. Darius wants to take this new endeavor from Jeffrey, and Tamar decides to go to Steak and Shake. The kids disable their phone trackers, ready their abilities and weapons, and leave the dinosaur in the car. Deep-throated church security guard Carl backs down when Carolina has him call Frank, who gives her his permission for their school photography assignment, but Jonah is in the car. Darius watches them gain access to the site. Inside, a giant hole greets the group. 
Chase shorts out the drill with his fistigons, and Molly pushes a truck into the deep hole. As Nico attempts to fill the hole using the staff, it returns to Tina, huh? and the kids confront their parents about all the wrong they've done. Molly flashes her eyes, and Carolina glows just what Leslie was afraid of. Pete, this is an episode that makes up for some of the imperfections from last week's episode, uh, particularly towards the end when you have the parent showdown, you know, parents showing down on one end, the, the, the heroes on the other, and definitely a super strong, super strong episode most of the way around. I'd have to agree. And when you look back at the way this episode unfolds with the dual flashbacks, the first being the the murder of the Hernandez is you have to set Leslie square in our sights as a villain. You certainly must. And I think what first comes to mind from this episode concerning Leslie, uh, I, I suppose first and foremost properly should be her all but confirmed murder of the Hernandezes, but also rather bookended with that knowledge of action was her lack of knowledge in, uh, in knowing about her daughter's ability to glow. She had the theory, but now, you know, now she has confirmation. So she knows on the one hand, a lot more than we thought and a whole lot less than we might've suspected. Yeah. And tossing this bomb into, uh, the, the science building here where the seismologists were working, um, conceivably ready to take the life of a child, although not clear that she knew Molly was there. Um, pretty dastardly stuff, Matt, by any reckoning of these parents and, and the terrible things they've done. It certainly is. And I think it's, it, it's a telling moment when we see Chase um, condemning all of them, you know, really drawing that line in the sand of you are the evil parents. And, uh, we see that not just with Leslie, but there's, there's extra Machiavellian type action here coming from Jonah who, uh, in one moment you think that, uh, you think that Frank perhaps is, uh, is, is free of Jonah's sphere of influence, but instead, uh, when Frank does give that okay for the kids to go onto the dig site, no, Jonah's right next to him. Uh, Frank is tugging at the, uh, the golden ring that, uh, that Jonah is metaphorically offering. And, uh, once again, we have Jonah as the mysterious bad guy. We'll come back to Frank. Jonah doubles down here. The flashback of him with Amy Minoru is certainly disturbing and chilling to the point where a, a, a cool cat like Tina is rattled. And then when uh, it appears Frank's trying to shake him down for the right reasons and let him know, well, here I have this information and, you know, it, it makes me powerful. Uh, Jonah doesn't even blink, but I'm not quite sure Frank belongs on this list yet. I agree that if there is hope for anybody, it is Frank. And let's not forget that. He might be swept up with pride now, but he has not been involved in the, um, you know, in, Cor the, in the actions of pride. He hasn't been a member Correction. of pride. Remember last episode, what he's back in now said um, uh, either Tina or um, Catherine. I believe it was Catherine. Uh, 
So, um, and remember, he's had his mind wiped at least once. I'm not so sure something like that didn't happen in this episode. Oh, you think that perhaps the mind wiping occurred off screen in this episode? I I don't get a malevolent vibe out of Frank. I get coercion out of him. Um, and I think he's too good a person in terms of the relationship with who he thinks is his daughter and Carolina that he wouldn't sell her out for, you know, like some church stuff. I think certainly the church stuff and the respect and power and prestige that, that comes with it. Um, there is an argument to be made that Frank for all his kind of dopey, wholesome goodness and his out of the loop nature, um, I mean, I don't say he's the worst because we've seen, you know, people killed at the hands of pride and whatnot, but, um, there is, how about this? The difference between expectation and reality might be, might be greatest for Frank. Pete, I have a villainy question for you and not villainy of a character, a question about possible villainy of the writing staff. I know that Chase is a lax rat who's real good with the Baltimore crab that you could never suggest to him he's done an ice pick and you can compliment him on the lax field as a real Hoover, uh, even though he doesn't have much of the cabbage there. But here's my question to you, Pete. Is he a, a lax lacrosse bro or is he a really smart like pre-engineering student? Because two episodes ago, three episodes ago, we had him working on the Fistigons and you know, kind of talking the talk with dad in terms of uh, a, a science engineering career. And in this episode, it's very much like, I don't know, drill thing, maybe drill up, maybe <laughs> drill down. I don't know. This isn't, this isn't lacrosse and none of you is a beer keg. So I call slight villainy on the writing here for somebody who, when we met him, he was a lax bro. And then you kind of say, oh, wait, as with all these characters, there's more to him. Oh, he actually has all this potential. And then now we've reached a point where we've gone full circle. He's like, I don't know. There was a girl that was naked. We did stuff. Me no love. Uh, let's will, go play lacrosse. I will grant the complaint if only that that scene also does double duty in their trying to define what just happened between Gert and Chase. Um, yes, Chase is suddenly uh, no longer uh, competent when it comes to uh, technology. He's well beyond in, okay, so it won't read your hand, but you could find something else to, you know, do to it before we get to the idea that you'll short it out, that you'll blow it up. So I will definitely uh, grant you that Chase's intelligence has been something of a moving target. Pete, before we talk some theories, just want to give a hearty New Year's thanks to everyone who supports us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek, helping keep the lights on at our own dig site of sorts. Yes, while we don't have a giant CGI drill that uh, begins above about 10 feet tall, um, we do have an, an army, a legion, Matt, of contributors that we're so excited to provide content for. 
everybody who contributes gets exclusive podcast content. And then there's all sorts of levels that you can choose to contribute at. We will even accept your suggestions as to uh, levels, perks, etc. So head on over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H, all one word, and check it out today. Pete, let's talk some theories. First up, is it possible that we learn the events uh, which conclude this episode will cause the very destruction of Los Angeles? Have Has the vision of the future caused it to take place? In terms of this battle between the parents and the kids causing it? Or I was thinking maybe it's something like, and I know Nico had the staff taken away from her, but I was thinking... Uh, you know, in real time watching the episode saying things like maybe her order of fill the hole. Well, it's such a deep hole that that the staff is going to have to pull uh, so much dirt that it causes a tornado that starts to destroy the city. That's an inelegant version. There's a reason why I'm not on the uh, the runaways writing staff. But that sort of thing um, where and clearly you know the action of filling the hole that seems to be ceased now that there's the showdown with the parents but does this showdown lead to some sort of cataclysmic event which causes the destruction of the city i'm going to say no given that we saw the the footage from the time machine um seems to be from further away the same as chase's call uh to his father so i'm going to say no However, Matt, what is up with these magic mystery rocks that seem to contain the same sort of energy as the pelvic region of Jonah? Um, wow, there's uh, I guess there's some options there, the, the worst of which I will not go for. Uh, it did cross my mind while watching the episode. Maybe we're going to skirt against some sort of Terrigen, Terrigenesis, Terrigen mist, Terrigen rock sort of uh sort of place um i'm glad that they didn't you know everything doesn't need to be connected to everything even if it is hashtag it's all connected um wait matt are you saying that the youtube video that i made about um jonah as the mystery man that said he is both stan lee kevin feige and marvel head of television jeff loeb that got 622,000 hits on YouTube doesn't count. It's not canon. Pete, surprisingly, YouTube videos, fan theories, uh, fanfic slash fic, PG-13 slash R-rated fanfic, none of it, A, is official, and B, very, very rarely does it actually impact a, a larger story. Um, I know there's the stat with the Twilight Zone that Rod Serling said, it's so difficult, you know, it's so time consuming writing all these scripts. Why don't you all send in some scripts? And they didn't produce any one of them. Um, so it turns out that you can't just, you can't just, I don't know, rattle off a, a 5,000 word blog post entitled, uh, why Chase will become Abraham Lincoln. And that doesn't make it be true, but yeah, I, I think I think I'm I'm the bearer of bad news there, Pete. I do apologize. So, what about these rocks? Do you think they are actually a renewable uh, energy source, or is there something more nefarious 
at work. I, as you know, Pete, as listeners know, I have certainly not read the comic as far as we are in the series. So I don't know what derivations there are. I am 99% sure that it's established in the comic that Carolina has an alien background. Now, A, if that's the case from the comics, and B, if that is the case in the show, because let's not forget, the show does not need to adapt every last thing from the uh, from the, the comic into the show. But if that is indeed the case with her, alien influence, alien background on her, that would perhaps line up with Jonah, that would perhaps line up with the rocks, that there's some sort of space meteor with space energy, even if it is... Also, somehow, from his space loins. So I'm going to say that there is an extraterrestrial connection, which, uh, ironically, does tie it back closer to Terrigen Mist than one might have thought. We're just talking different alien forces here. What about this mystery man that knows, that saw Nico, still don't know who that is? Two different people, the same is it Jonah? Is it somebody else, as is speculated by Alex and Nico within the Pride? We thought all along it was Tina that blew up the Hernandezes. Instead, she just blew up her fajitas and her hand. Side note, I I don't know. If, if fine, uh, Tina did burn her hand. It, it did. It struck me as ever so slightly staged for the camera again not i'm not doubting the authenticity within the story but it was just slightly staged for the camera that's like what shocking text here and that will cause me to burn my hand on the pan i was just holding like i i I don't know to me most grown-ups don't get so distracted that you suddenly take your hand off of the the pan's holder there and then hit it into the the stove or the pan or whatever it might be but i digress pete um i'm gonna go external from the story here i'm going to say that because we only have the one episode left and i suspect that we're not going to carry a ton of mysteries over into season two i'm going to bet that it'll be revealed that it was jonah perhaps jonah you know dark man style all wrapped in in uh, bandages or decrepit or whatever it might be, Phantom of the Opera style with his face all contorted, um, that that he is the mystery man again. Wow, we're crossing over to the Dark Man universe. Who who knew, Matt? Um, I don't know. I I think it's it, it's something they would have given us if that was indeed the case. I'm starting to get worried. It might have been Frank. We know his mind's been erased. Clearly, he's not somebody that anybody in the group has ever worried about using as uh, somebody to do their dirty work before and then erase his mind. And I, I think Jonah's too easy a target. I agree with you a little bit on the, oh, my goodness, Tina really was cooking. And she was so shocked she burned her hand. But. I I do like that they gave us the unexpected answer there and and showed us that Leslie could do something as dastardly as she did. So, I mean, Leslie and Frank as as a do-gooding or a a non-do-gooding as a dastardly couple. Um, And then you bring in Jonah. It's it's like some kind of unholy trifecta. Uh, Yeah, except poor Frank doesn't know that there's, uh, shall we say, three people in the metaphorical, by which I mean literal, bed. Um, 
I it makes do it like, even more tragic. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> boy, you were getting snazzy last night, honey. Well, um, but I digress, Pete. Uh, I like the idea that it is Frank and Leslie who on the surface appear to be the most wholesome. And indeed, as you pointed out, Frank, who has been the most wholesome based on the evidence that we've seen, he's even not a part of this crazy group. He's just like wandering around going, oh man, some like 40-year-old mom wanted my autograph because she remembers my movies. I want people to go back and listen if they don't already remember that I was the one throwing the idea that Frank would be somebody they could confide in. Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully we get those those reveals in this uh, in this finale episode next week. Uh, I will add to it the the slight exposing here of the story sin that is Tina's burned hand. Though you know, okay, I think it's a bit unlikely that she would do it. Do people burn themselves cooking? Sure, absolutely, all the time. It's a story foul that the writers had her burn her hand the exact same night that someone close to her was killed by a fire so that she might have that burn wrapped up at their funeral available for us out of chronological order in a flashback in episode three. So we suspected her the entire time because she's a really mean mom. So she probably killed people too. There's a slight inelegance here to the, to the writing execution where, where, you know, where, the story made us suspect her because of that burn. And now the story wants us to unsuspect her so we get the truth. Again, I'm not saying all runaways is awful. I'm not saying these people, this is awful scripts. I'm just saying, hey, you got caught with your story trick there and I'm not crazy about it. So, Pete, let's turn the theory machine now. Let's turn it to a time machine. What are your expectations for the season one finale? I think we're going to get a fairly epic throwdown between the kids and the parents to begin the next episode. I think that Darius and the dinosaur are going to jump in, possibly fighting one another. <laughs> it is um, it is slightly incongruous to have... Uh, to have Darius witness all of this. It is suggestive. You know, they want him there so further action can be taken, whatever that might be. So uh, I wonder too, do we get do we get the destruction of Los Angeles? And I know you pointed out so correctly, Pete, that the chase that we see is from farther in the future. Um and certainly on the one hand, one gets the sense of, of recent destruction. I also don't know, is this, you know, the fires have burned for 20 years, that sort of thing. So to me, that's not completely off the table. I like, however, knowing uh, or rather not knowing where the comic is headed uh, just because um, I really, really personally don't know what to what to expect after we get this uh, th this parent showdown here. So exciting stuff all the way around. With that, Pete, let's get to some listener feedback, and we're going to start with some audio feedback from our pal Fred in the Netherlands. I thought perhaps this show has not such a fixed position in the MCU timeline uh, that it would be possible to already watch it. So I started watching the show and also looked for an associated podcast. And I can tell you, I actually was not surprised to find a Fantastic Geek podcast linked to the show. The two of you cover almost the entire Marvel Universe. 
Since I watched several Marvel shows, so Agent of Carter, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Daredevil and Jessica Jones, I listen to your voices quite a lot. I rarely binge watch, but for this series, The Runaways, I made an exception and watched the first four episodes in a row. I have to say I really liked it. But I had to get used a little bit to it. It really has its own character within the MCU. I think those kids do a marvelous job in acting. Well, kids, Molly and Gert are in real life 15 and 19 respect uh, respectively, but the rest is between 20 and 23 years. Well, thank you, Fred, for sending in an audio message here and a comprehensive one we're going to return to in a second. Uh, great to hear from uh, our listeners, especially abroad. It just touches my heart, particularly coming from the Netherlands. What else did he have to say, Matt? One topic I wanted to talk about is Jonah versus Tina. Who is the bigger evil? Nico discovers via Alex that her mother Tina is the one that hacked her sister Amy. For Amy, the hacking was all about beating her mother just once. And Amy's, Amy's quote to Kincaid, You don't know her. You don't know what she will do to me. I really wonder what kind of mother Tina is. One other thing to think about is Jonah didn't stop Tina to destroy the second box with her staff, with her wand. How are their powers compared? Who is really the bigger evil? On the other hand, Jonah to the bride group, be a quote, because I... Um, because if I don't revive him, you all die, and so do your children. Why is this? Is this pure evilness, or does he have a reason for that? Tina is the one that called Jonah, which means to me that she is the one within the pride group that has the least fear for Jonah. Second topic I want to touch upon is the scene between Alex and Nico. Alex says to Nico, I was scared that you'd never forgive me. And one other quote, because losing you forever, Nico, that would be like another death. Heavily dramatic and well played by those actors. Wow, Fred, it's a really good question to consider, particularly your thought about uh, Tina not being as afraid as the other members of the pride of Jonah. I think, too, Fred is really wise to zero in on the, the Alex and Nico uh, connection here. I think that um, amidst the other goings-on in the episode, kind of more of the, the dramatic uh, action of the episode, this this really heartfelt um, you know connection, Alex to Nico, and then now Nico towards Carolina, to whatever degree, I think it's more Carolina to Nico, but obviously... Nico's interested in that as well. You have you have a a, a romantic triangle there. Perhaps it's a slightly modern one because we have uh, we have some same sex action here. But um, it's it it is so heartfelt and it's it's so honest. And here we have Fred zeroing in on the uh, the emotion of the performance. Pete, let's continue with some more thoughts from Fred. I had a little bit of a Google problem because when Gert and Carolina were going into the uh, Stein's house, uh, 
um, Gert was talking about uh, that Chase was playing Candy Crush and sexting Eiffel. And I searched and searched, what the heck sexting Eiffel is? Ki what kind of game is that? And then later I discovered Eiffel is the one of the cheerleader girls and the one that was uh, treating Molly as dirt. Um, and I, could, I couldn't imagine that Eiffel could be a girl's name and I only found things like the Eiffel Tower in Paris. One final big question, Robert. I couldn't protect Amy. I wonder against what. And the text on Amy's phone, he found out, leave the house now. Who is the he, of course. Some final nitpicks. Uh, you already touched upon it. Uh, what is the point of taking the dinosaur with you? Um, second nitpick is, how long will these public lockers uh, be available? Um, big question, of course, is what is on the VCR tape. And one last nitpick, uh, Amy, we see in the, uh, that Amy is packing her backpack and then the guy comes in and we wonder if he killed her instead of a suicide. But if she was packing the backpack, who put it under the bed? Who hide it? So that was all. A long feedback this time. Next time I will keep it shorter. Uh, I give it a 6 out of 10, which will be for American grades a C. All the best. Till next time. Greetings, Fred. Wow. Uh, so many things. Matt, where to start? Pete, what, what Fred opened my eyes to and what we had a little uh, revelatory chuckle over as we were listening to that is, I think to American ears, the notion of this uh, upper class kind of you know mean girl type in terms of eiffel for her to be named eiffel presumably after the eiffel tower there's a slight preposterousness to it but it's also a preposterous preposterousness that we see um at least from the stereotype of that kind of person i mean certainly you know whether you want to look at uh let's say the beckhams and naming their son brooklyn there's just that little extra in english mind you there's that little extra um sizzle there from that name where it barely registered with me that her name was Eiffel. Of course, I heard it as Eiffel and I thought Eiffel Tower, but to me, it was just kind of like, oh, message received, burn, burn as intended, you know, has been witnessed here by, by the writers and how wonderful, uh, how, how wonderful, I guess, that it doesn't translate. It was just that little extra bit of work on Fred's part to realize, oh no, she really is named for the Eiffel Tower. And, um, and I don't know. And, and I take joy in this whole discussion. I'm just so super relieved, too, that uh, sexting Eiffel on Google didn't reveal some filthier stuff for old Fred there. So, you know, even in as sexually enlightened a country as uh, my fatherland in Holland. Well, Pete, we want to thank Fred again for sending in those thoughts. We love hearing feedback from people, whether it's from across the Atlantic or, or farther away or closer. So, Fred, keep them coming on in. And, uh, dear listeners, you can always share your feedback. Uh, you can do an audio message and email that, certainly. We'll, we'll give the contact info in a moment. Or, uh, heck, Pete, a whole variety of ways. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-9700. K E T E L A A R nine thousand seven hundred thirty nine followers. Can't be wrong. 
And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Visit FantasticGeek.com. Email FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. A lot of action recently to uh, Fantastic Geek Facebook page. So get in on that. Pete, for those listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be back on Friday to talk Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. If you're listening to us on the Runaways Rundown feed, Pete, we got two more podcasts left on Runaways. First is for episode 10 of the first season, episode 110. Uh, And second would be that season one wrap-up. So now's the time to be sharing those thoughts. No news yet as to renewal and things like that, although... Pete, the number of Marvel, uh, number of Marvel TV shows not brought into a second season is uh, one. Thought it was well. Thus far, it's zero. Or how about this? None have not been not renewed, if you will. We have Inhumans probably not making it, but the <laughs> odds. The one. <laughs> the the point being, none have been officially canceled after one season yet. So let's let's put it like that. Um, so the odds of a Runaways renewal are very, very good, and we'll certainly keep both feeds up to date with uh, renewal information as it happened. But with that, Pete, we have one more episode, two more podcasts. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. If there's nothing left for us to do, let's dance. The car was impounded. There was no way for me to avoid being grounded. My parents had to come off a vacation to get me. I'd rather be in jail than to have my father hit me. My parents walked through and I got my grip. I said, uh, mom, dad, how was your trip? They didn't speak. I said, I want to plead my case. But my father just shoved me in the car on my face. That was a hard ride home. I don't know how I survived it. They took turns. One would beat me while the other one was driving. I can't believe it. I just made